that, that's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to help you make a little money. My job, not just to entertain, but to explain, put in context, call me 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. This bull market has broken so many rules that it astonishes me every day, including this one, Dow hit 99 points, S&P advanced 0.08%, NASDAQ gained 0.36%, although it was much higher throughout the day. So many ironic, inconceivable things keep happening and have happened over the last few years that I really don't even have enough time to listen to a single show, let alone a segment. I am bursting at the seams to give you some of the more outrageous anomalies that go on every day here. So here goes. First, the Fed has with the most, they hit us with the most aggressive tightening cycle in recent memory. Yet some of the biggest winners over the past year are the stocks that almost always get crushed by higher rates. Toll Brothers, big home builder, the nicest homes, was at $56 a year ago. Now it's at $96. Lenar was at $99. Now it's at $105. Pulte was at $51. Now it's at $102. In any other tightening cycle, these stocks would have been cut in half. Instead, some of them are close to doubling. I remember plenty of cycles where home builders simply disappeared. And it's not just the home builders. In normal tightening cycles, cycles that are nowhere near as tough as this one, we see multiple steel companies go under. Yet Nucor, our biggest and best steelmaker, is having a remarkable run here. Anything truck and transport related is typically just slaughtered. Yet Packard, the big rig company that's behind those Peterbilt and Kenworth, just hit an all-time high. It should be hitting an all-time low, for heaven's sake. Parker Hannifin, a true metal-bending industrial, has seen its stock fall from $312 to $464 in the last year. It practically lives on the new high list. In a normal tightening cycle, Parker Hannifin would be a deep denizen of the new low list. No wonder there aren't any lot of short sellers left out there. The playbook says short the home builders, the steels, and the industrials at this point in the cycle. And this time, that playbook sent you to your funeral. Second, there's a stock out there, and it's, it's made of Teflon. And it's not DuPont, which really, well, anyway. Uh, so much has been thrown at it, but nothing sticks. And the stock acts surprisingly well. You know what stock I'm talking about? Boeing. Every day you read something bad about these guys. The 737 Max has to be the single most troubled product I've ever come across. Customers are angry. They're coming on our air, excoriating the company. There's zero faith in CEO David Calhoun. And you know what? This stock clearly wants to head higher. There's a lot of grousing. There's the usual congressional hearing. There's endless opprobrium. And it's clear management's clueless. 
Yet buyers come out on any dip. There's no change at the top. Probably won't be if they haven't done it by now. How can the stock of Boeing hold up like this? Because no angry airline comes on air and says, you know what? I'm fed up. I'm switching to Airbus. They can't even if they want to as there's an aircraft shortage. If I were an analyst, you know what I would do tomorrow morning? I'd raise my price target on Boeing right now because they're going to Congress and Congress people are angry at them. Bye, bye, bye. Third, by this point, the whole artificial intelligence thing should have imploded, right? I mean, come on. When you get off the desk and ask people what AI is really do- doing for them, no one even knows, except for the usual suspects. Amazon, Alphabet, Meta, and Microsoft, they do know. They're all in. And that really is all that matters. So instead of a short-lived mania, it's an actual business. But it's not supposed to be this way. The AI craze should have ended ages ago. And yet it's still impacting stocks. The hype is still sending them higher, which leads me to believe that it isn't hype at all. If you shorted AI in all its various forms and iterations, all your investors have pulled away their money and you're embarking, believe me, on a new, less lucrative career. Fourth, nothing good is ever fully baked into a stock. Do you know how many people told me that Netflix would report the most monster upside surprise in history, that it would show gigantic gains from both content and from Passport Crackdown, that the advertising program is just terrific? I heard have great feedback and new people are coming in left and right all over the globe. Ultimately, I expected a stunning, incredible quarter. But so did everybody else. So how could that be a surprise? And what happens? Netflix reports exactly what we're all looking for. A colossal set of numbers with tremendous talk about amazing programming while slagging linear TV big time and the advertising cohort works. And even though we knew it was coming, it was the least surprise, surprise I've ever seen. The stock shoots up nearly 11% anyway. When did something like this ever occur in the past? How about never? A huge upside surprise is not a surprise at all in the stock wars. That's just not the way markets are supposed to work. Fifth, all hail NVIDIA. Yeah, every day this stock makes you feel like it's never too late to buy. How the heck is that possible? How is it possible that if you order a lot of NVIDIA's fully loaded graphics cards or supercomputers and you mention it publicly, your stock soars? Greatness by association? It's extraordinary, people. In fact, everything about NVIDIA is extraordinary. This one company has reinvented the world by ending the tyranny of code, of keyboards, of drugs work, of repetitive processes. And who knows what else? Uh, everything AI can do. And that's why this stock's become a juggernaut. I'd say it's just plain crazy if I didn't know the amazing people behind it and how brilliant they are. If I didn't know CEO Jensen Wong, the man I call Da Vinci, I wouldn't believe it. But I believe in it heart and soul. In fact, I'm going to say it right now. I want to be Jensen's digital twin. Six, people keep talking about how the market needs to broaden out or else. Ladies and gentlemen, it hasn't mattered one bit. Not one. There are no big sell-offs because of the lack of breath. It's just a pile of nonsense. Now, if you have a Magnificent 7 and nothing else, uh, not even a 7 Samurai maybe, there's somehow a problem. No. No. I mean, you sold stocks a long time ago if you thought that all that mattered was that you didn't have a lot of breath and that you should sell if there's not a lot of breath. I mean... The seven got us where we are. Well, now the six, because I didn't really care for Tesla's quarter, but he'll pull something out that makes people excited again. If the people complaining about a narrow market were right, we should have crashed 10 times over by now, shouldn't we have? Come on. We have the definition of insanity going on here. Let's just face it. We have a small group of incredible companies run by actual geniuses, not clowns, that are worth trillions of dollars with big balance sheets that put some nation states to shame, but they don't have militaries. And it's fine if they're the leaders. It's fine. Yeah, of course, we went breath. But when we stray too far, you end up with a stock that blows up in your face like a DuPont or a 3M or Texas Instruments. Wow, thanks for nothing. Seventh, Washington gloriously no longer matters at all. 
We have impeachments, the government shutdown worries, and crazy, stupid fights over the Speaker of the House, not to mention a presidential candidate who needs to go four for four in prosecutions to be eligible, possibly with a Supreme Court ruling, too. We have a massive budget deficit and doesn't play even a whit of role in the market, although the deficit only ever seemed to matter when rates got too high. And at and, and another time, these would all be negatives weighing on the market, crushing the market. Not this time. You can't even get anyone excited about any of these things or worried or agitated or whatever. Finally, eighth, we have this data signaling that more people are involved in the market than ever. But I speak to more investors than pretty much anyone else on Earth. And I can tell you what they really want to talk about is Bitcoin or Ethereum or some other crazy get-rich-quick scheme, a short squeeze on plug power or zero-day options. If you ask me, nobody cares at all about stocks. They have become no, a necessary evil. So here's the bottom line. Nothing we have ever learned about the market has played out like it's supposed to for the last two years. Maybe it'll start playing out tomorrow, but it hasn't the last two years. Maybe it's different. But if we don't accept what's happened here, then I think we'll miss out on a lot of easily gettable wins, just like last year. When the market no longer reflects the playbook, you got to throw out the playbook and write a new one. Let's go to Blake and Maryland, please. Blake. Hey, Jim. I just want to give a quick shout out to my sister's class in Stephen Decatur High School in Ocean City, Maryland. That's um, one of my, my favorite. Oh, City, Maryland? Hey, I used to go to Rehoboth, man. I'm all over that. I'm all oh, yeah. over that. Good fries. Really good fries. Come, come visit us to your figures. Um, okay, we'll go to Nichols. Question. I'll buy you, buy you pizza. Okay, what's up? Uh, my question Nichols. is about SAP. It's been, a, it's been a mule for me all year. I just want to know if I should buy more of it, hold on to it. No, no, you, no, you had the, the, look, you had the move of a lifetime up 11 today. Why would you buy more of it? I mean, like, if anything, I would ka-ching, ka-ching half and let the rest run, play with the house's money, and then just go back to go to Ocean City, Maryland. Or go to Rehoboth. Go to Bethany Beach. There, I'll buy a condo. Let's go to Curtis and Maryland. Buy him a condo. Curtis and Maryland. And his sister, too. Curtis. <laughs> Yes, uh, big booyah from Silver Spring, Jim. Uh, yes. You represented ADM in the past. After the big drop this week, is it an opportune time to buy the stock? Well, I think that they should have been a little more forthcoming about what the heck happened there. I mean, when you put a CFO on leave and you say there's all this stuff, but you don't give us the details, it makes me feel like perhaps I would be going into quicksand. Um, I am going to award that company uh, the, let's see, the Congressional Medal of Obfuscation. Let's go to Jim in Florida. Jim. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. I appreciate it. Jim, I need a little help with Nike. I can't understand what's going on with the stock. Obviously, you know, a month ago it came out with its earnings. It wasn't all that bad. No, it wasn't. No, and the CFO dumbed it down, and 20% of the stock comes flying off. But I was looking at... Opco had a $150 buy recommendation, Goldman and City, $135. But all right, let me tell you what's going on here, all right? I'm going to give you the skinny. Anybody that sells a lot of product in China right now, it doesn't matter. People are just scared because China's like teetering on the brink of some sort of recession, depression. Nike sells a lot in China, so no one believes a single word you say if you're selling well in China. That is what's happening in Nike. One day it'll clear up. I suggest you buy Nike. I think that John Donahoe is terrific, and I think Nike's going to come through this thing smelling like a rose. Okay, not your particular pair, but just in general. Nothing we've ever learned about the market has played out for the last two years. We ought to own that. But when the market no longer reflects the playbook, guess what you got to do? You got to throw out the playbook and you got to write a new one on Man Money Tonight. Netflix shares surged today on a revenue beat, strong subs, and better than expected guidance. But the NASDAQ 100 rallying to new record highs. I'm offering a read through on what the results tell us about the rest of big tech. And Netflix isn't the only earnings story I'm watching. 
You know what? No one's focused on the drillers. I like to go where people aren't sometimes. I think there's something to buy there. And one of my favorite parts of the Investing Club meeting, when we do it every month we have it, is we hear from you. We always have more questions than time. So tonight, I'm giving you a taste of what the club is all about right here on Mad Money, answering some leftover questions. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visited visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Look at Netflix run up $53 or almost 11% today in the wake of really a terrific quarter. Now, I recommended this one a year ago, and since then it's up nearly 60%. Plus, it's rallied roughly 34% since I told you to buy it again in late October. But I'm not here to toot my own horn. When you have a winner, you need to stay close to the story and make sure the stock's still worth owning. Because the default position after this kind of run is to ring the register. That's why I want to go over what Netflix really talked about last night, especially as there initially seemed to be a lot of confusion about the quarter. And I want to clear that up right here, right now. In terms of the headline numbers, Netflix had 13.112 million paid net subscriber additions when Wall Street was looking for 8.72 million. Now, that's a truly monster beat. They had over 260 million total subscribers when the analysts wanted to see 256 million. That's translated into a healthy revenue beat, with sales up 12.5% year-over-year. 
their second straight quarter of accelerating revenue growth. We like ARG, A-R-G, accelerating revenue growth. That's an indicator of real strength. Very encouraging trend. Geez, they have a lot of subscribers, don't they? However, Netflix is no longer just a subscription growth story. The company's matured, and now it has much more of a focus on profitability. This time, their operating margin came in 300 basis points better than expected, which was terrific, although the company ended up missing earnings estimates because of a one-time tax hit. But nobody cared about that because Netflix delivered a terrific free cash flow number, which can't be impacted by the tax hit. Now, how about the guidance for the current quarter? Now, technically, these numbers were also mixed. Management sales forecast was a little light, while their operating margin, operating income, and earnings per share outlooks were substantially better than expected. Again, there was so much positive going on in this forecast that the one fly in the ointment didn't particularly bother anyone. That's fabulous. So those are the numbers. But what's the story behind them? The 13.1 million paid net subscriber additions in the period came from a combination of factors. Now, first, Netflix finally was able to normalize its content releases after the pandemic. The COVID hangover is gone. Second, they cracked down on password sharing. And third, they rolled out a lower-priced ad-supported subscription offering. In the fourth quarter, Netflix said its ad-supported memberships increased by nearly 70% versus the previous quarter. That's stunning. Ad-supported plans now account for 40% of all new signups in markets where they've been introduced. And Madrid said they're getting better and better at targeting ads for these people. Wow, I like that. Looking forward, I think Netflix still gives you a lot to be excited about. First, management said to expect healthy double-digit growth, excluding currency fluctuations. And that includes growth in currency-neutral average revenue per, share, revenue per user. Now, some of that should come from price increases they put through last quarter. But some of it's coming from scaling up the advertising business. As Netflix CFO Spencer Newman put it, the goal is to constantly improve the offering, which will naturally drive user growth and then also growing average revenue per user over time through a combination of price hikes and more efficient advertising. At a high level, it's a simple plan, and I think it's achievable. It's, got a, it's actually a plan of great beauty. By the way, even before the earnings report yesterday, there were some interesting news out of Netflix. Now, if, I don't know if you watch Qualcomm the Street or even just follow me on Twitter. You might have noticed uh, that I got to chat with Dwayne The Rock Johnson, a hero of mine yesterday. He just got appointed to the board of directors of TKO Group, the company formed last year from the merger of the UFC Mixed Martial Arts League and WWE, the main professional wrestling platform. But there was another bit of news, another wrinkle from TKO Group. They reached a deal to air their flagship weekly WWE Raw program on Netflix. This is a huge deal that moves Netflix further into sports, year-long sports. Sort of, kind of. We all know that pro wrestling is scripted. But it's at least sports adjacent. More importantly, it gives Netflix live programming, which is what advertisers right now really seek and are desperate for. Now, as I mentioned earlier, even though Netflix stock ultimately roared today, Wall Street seemed a little confused about this one. While the vast majority of analysts were overwhelmingly positive, Brian Kraft from Deutsche Bank actually downgraded the stock from buy to hold. Now, this turned into a bit of a face-off because Tim Nolan at Macquarie upgraded it from neutral to outperform, raising his price target from 410 to 595. To be fair... Deutsche Bank had downgraded. They still boosted their price target from 460 to 525. Macquarie said they'd been up, waiting to upgrade their Netflix uh, position because they thought that the company's new ad-supported tier and the crackdown on password sharing would gradually add more revenue. Initially, they believed this process would take a lot of time. But after seeing this, these latest results, Macquarie says that Netflix has a, quote, now turned a corner. 
end quote. So they're coming off the sidelines and recommending the stock. Got to say, I appreciate it when an analyst admits that they misjudge something and then changes their opinion. I'm not kidding. It's just better to just own it and move on. I try to do that. It's very painful, but I do it. How about the downgrade from Deutsche Bank? This was complicated. I'll skip over the part where they offer plenty of praise for Netflix and go straight to the cautious commentary. Basically, they think that Netflix's leadership position is already priced into the stock up here, and they argue that the low-hanging fruit has now been harvested on the password sharing front. While it could take a long time for the ad-supported business to ramp up to meaningful levels. In the end, Deutsche Bank sees Netflix earnings per share growth peaking at around 38% this year before decelerating hard in 2025 and 2026. That would hurt the stock, people. While they acknowledge that the advertising business will eventually be a huge contributor to earnings, they think it's way too soon to count on anything meaningful, still, well, at least in a very short period of time. So where do I come down? I have to tell you that we don't actually like seeing these comments from Macquarie or Deutsche Bank today. Why? Because Macquarie's been wrong about Netflix for ages with an underperform on the stock uh, from its May 2022 bottom until September 2022. And since then, they've only rated a neutral while the stock has screamed higher. Meanwhile, Deutsche Bank has been very right on Netflix since they upgraded it to a buy in October 2022. Kudos there. Uh, so now the guy who's been wrong says it's fully time to it's finally time to get bullish. And the guy who's been right says it's time to curb your enthusiasm. And I think that there's more right than there's a lot more right to come. So I got to say, I got to stay positive with Netflix. The company has way too much going for it. They're going to solve this ad thing way earlier than this Deutsche Bank guy, but then the, uh, the guy who, who downgraded says they can. We're often jaded about Netflix here in the U.S., where everybody has it already, but there's plenty of growth to be had overseas, and the success of the lower-priced ad-supported plan has opened my eyes to the idea that even America might not be tapped out. After that, I bet Netflix can keep making more and more off each subscriber, both through price hikes and more efficient advertising. The advertisers really want this audience. Plus, with the company regularly outperforming on profitability and cash flow fronts, the stock actually feels safer to me than it did when Netflix was a pure growth story. And let's never forget they actually have content from around the globe that's pretty great, especially now that we've been uh, happily converted to subtitle readers. Turns out that Linear TV's endless, just expensive obsession with hospitals, fires, and cops is just dead, okay? That's the old way. But the industry just doesn't seem to know it and likes to spend like Netflix would never spend. So here's the bottom line. Sure, the stock looks expensive now, trading at 32 times this year's earnings estimates. But guess what? The best growth stocks always seem expensive. I'm happy to pay up and ride out any blips along the way, so long as the core story remains intact. That money is back after the break. Coming up, you know the drill. Kramer bubbles into earnings season with a few energy service plays. Next. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. do with the oil service stocks now that the price of crude seems to have found a floor and may actually be rebounding from its lows? This group's been in a rut for months as the price of oil came down and domestic producers remain disciplined rather than spending like drunken sailors on new capacity. Plus, the oil service companies are, in some ways, 
Let's call them victims of their own success. They've made the oil and gas industry so efficient. Boy, it was really inefficient for a long time. The producers can get much more out of a fossil fuel, just drill a few wells and produce much more oil. That's the way it's done now. Hey, by the way, that's why the Chapel Trust sold Halliburton back in August, getting out of 39 and change. In retrospect, it was a good move, given the stock slid lower for several months after we got out, bottomed to 32 and change last week, and has now bounced to around 37. I was thinking, geez, if they can get so much more out of each well, you don't need them as much. But you know what? Now we're in earnings season. And I've already heard from the big three oil service operators, SLB, Halliburton, and Big News. So has anything changed? Don't forget, a couple of weeks ago, we checked in with a resident commodities expert, Carly Garner. She explained that oil could be headed back to $100 by this spring. Bye, bye, bye! If she's even partially right, that makes the oil service place a lot more enticing. At the same time, the whole group is now cheap. It sells for t- to 11 to 15 times this year's earnings estimates. I don't recall this group ever being this cheap. More important, both SLB and Halliburton rallied nicely after the report on Friday and Monday, respectively. Baker uses the exceptions down nearly 5%. In response to its quarter, but they've been the worst operator for a long time. Eh, sale of B. Oh, let's take them one by one. SLB, the old summer jay, kicked things off on Friday morning with a slight top and bottom line beat for the fourth quarter. Revenue up 14% year over year. Earnings up 21%. Free cash flow, it exploded up 167% year over year. Coming in more than $1 billion higher than what Wall Street was looking for. That's, that's pretty amazing. Now, SLB's main source of strength was its booming international business, which has now delivered 10 consecutive quarters of double-digit growth. Why don't people talk about this? That's amazing. These guys don't give us much in the way of explicit guidance, and they never beat their chest and tell you to buy them. Management's qualitative commentary about the future was pretty encouraging, though. CEO Olivier Lepouche, he solid, is predicting another year of strong growth driven by international. He called out the Middle East, deep water drilling, and SLB's new digital tools as long-term growth drivers. <laughs> These guys, I, I've always been awed of them. You know, I interviewed with them uh, in 1982 and was turned down before the interview was even finished. That's okay. I, it, it meant something to me. By the way, uh, last Thursday, SLB raised its dividend by... T- I don't know what it meant to me, though. It raised its dividend by 10%, and with the earnings report on Friday, the company said it plans to increase its buyback this year. I think that helped soften the blow for their higher-than-expected capital expenditure forecast because returning all that capital shareholders is a powerful sign of confidence for the future. Plus, they have a lot of credibility on the cash management front after putting up such a huge free cash flow beat this time, something, by the way, that my old friend Stephanie Link highlighted today when she was talking with Scott, and I think she's dead right about it. All right, how about Halberton? They had a slightly different result with a small revenue miss, but also a bigger earnings beat. Hal's sales were roughly flat year over year, while their earnings were up roughly 19%. They also gave it a nice free cash flow beat, but nowhere near what we got from SLB and scale. Hal's international business was strong. That's important, but it's not as big as their domestic business. And the North American business struggled. Actually, that was the bummer. It's one reason why we sold. Another reason, actually, why we sold this trust over the summer, because I wasn't happy with how well they were doing. Now, Halliburton also doesn't give much explicit forward guidance, but they, too, had an optimistic qualitative outlook for the year. On the conference call, straight shooter CEO Jeff Miller said that the oil services market would remain strong. His words. First, we see an increase in service intensity everywhere we operate, whether it's longer laterals in North America, smaller and more complex reservoirs and mature fields, or offshore deep water. Customers require more services to develop the resources, not fewer. Whoa. 
money in the bank, people. In other words, there may be fewer rigs in service, which is what I was concerned about. But each well generates a lot more oil than it used to and a lot more business for Hal and his compadres, especially in the Permian. Miller went on to say that, as with SLB, Halliburton's near-term growth will be driven by its international business, talking about how he foresees multiple years of sustained exploration and production activity growing in the rest of the world. That's really bullish, not just dependent on Texas. He's very optimistic about the Middle East and the rest of Asia this year. Starting next year, he said Africa and Europe will lead the way with above-average growth. Finally, Miller's feeling confident about Halliburton's well construction business. Put it all together. And you can understand why the stock rallied 2.5% yesterday in response to the quarter and then tacked on another 4% today because, man, that was much better than expected. Finally, uh, let's address Baker Hughes, the perennial underperformer of the group. Although you could argue this one's simply not worth talking about because it's so much worse than SOB or Prince Hal. Maybe Baker Hughes spent too much time. Uh, maybe they were too long a subsidiary of General Electric back in the days when GE still had awful management. Either way, these guys delivered a mixed quarter, softer than expected revenue, coupled with a modest earnings beat. Unlike Halliburton, though, that wasn't paired with a strong outlook, and that's the reason why the stock sold down nearly 5%. While SLB and Halliburton are predicting double-digit growth overseas and flattish results here in North America, Baker Hughes talked about a high single-digit growth overseas and low to mid-single-digit declines in North America. Please just trust me that you'd rather be an SLB or Halliburton than Baker Hughes. You want best to breed, not worst to breed. In the end, the well-run oil service stocks are rallying coming out of their earnings report. That's very positive. And after uh, looking into what happened, I think SLB and Halliburton deserve all of this upside and more. Yes, I think they can keep climbing. Yes, the growth outlook for the oil service industry is better than I thought, going into earnings primarily thanks to increased activity overseas. More importantly, Halliburton put one of my biggest worries to rest. Remember I was concerned that producers can do more and more with fewer rigs, which meant the oil service companies might be victims of their own efficiency? But Halliburton explained how they're getting more and more money out of each well, too. So at worst, it's just a wash. Plus, as they help producers expand and extend the life of the individual wells, they make more money and incur fewer costs themselves, leading to improved margins. And that's how SLB and Halliburton could post really strong earnings and cash flow off of what were at best Okay, revenue numbers. Here's the bottom line of two stocks I really like. With the oil service stocks still pretty reasonably priced after prolonged downturns, I think you could do well buying either SLB or Halliburton now this earnings season, especially if Carly Garner's right that energy prices are headed higher. And I think she is. Andrew in Georgia. Andrew. How you doing, Mr. Kramer? Can you hear me again? Ah, uh, you sound good, buddy. What's going on? I appreciate that. So, first of all, hope you're having an amazing day. Um, yeah, it was a pretty a amazing day, to tell yes, the truth. I got a, it was. I got a question on stock Modine, M-O-D. I'm currently up 291%. And with their earnings coming up, I'm wondering, do you think that they will be able to maintain this momentum? You know, that is such a good company, okay? It's funny because when I first heard what Carriers was doing, buying heat pumps in Europe, I said, oh, my God, maybe they're going to be like this company, which, by the way, of course, I always called Matthew Modine, right? Matthew Modine. I mean, because it's like, you know, like Modine, Matthew, okay, actor. Uh, I think you should own it. It's still very inexpensive. I buy some MM. I also called it MM. I called it anything other than the name that it is. All right, let's go to Sean in Kansas, or Sean, Sean in Kansas, Sean. Sean is a Sean from Wichita. I want to shout my favorite rapper is 316 Jim. I got a question for you. What about LNG? Well, LNG, okay, so this is actually very interesting because I happen to like the CQP kind. 
I think that that's where the money is. Chenier Energy Partners with an 8% yield. That, Sean in Kansas, is the one I want you to... Clear? All right, oil service stocks are still pretty reasonably valued. I got to tell you, I like them. I like them. I like them both. I thought about buying them for the uh, Chapel Trust. I think you could do well buying either SLB or Halliburton now, the earnings season, especially seeing that energy prices might be headed back up. There's upside here, people. Much more ahead. Hey, guess what? If you might have missed the monthly investing club meeting, I can't help you. Maybe you're thinking of joining the club. That's up to you. But I can give you a sneak peek into what we were all talking about when I get to club member questions right here on Man Money. Then regular viewers know I tend to look at the Chinese stocks with a whole boatload of skepticism. But you got to see what's going to happen later. I, It's called a reveal. And uh, I'm also taking your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lighting Round. So stay with Kramer. Today, we held our CBC Investing Club monthly meeting where my colleague Jeff Marks and I run through our thought process for the club, discuss each of our current holdings, and take questions from club members. I always say my favorite part of the show is taking your questions, and we always have more questions than time. So, tonight, I'm going to give you an inside look at what we do in the Investing Club and take some of the questions that I couldn't get to in the session. Now, if you like what you hear, I suggest you join the club ahead of next month's monthly meeting by going to cnbc.com slash join the club or by holding your phone up to this QR code. Now, first up, we're taking a question from Paul in Arizona, who asks, your recent interviews at the J.P. Morgan Chase Health Conference were terrific. I'm considering an entry position in one of three stocks, Beckton Dickinson, Amgen, Abbott Labs. Which company you suggest as an entry position and why? Thank you. Well, first, got to tell you, Paul, thank you so much. That was a, we did 13 interviews in kind of record time, and it really means a great deal to me that you noticed and took the stuff down. And I'll tell you, I will reward you by saying that Abbott Labs, we've been telling people in the bullpen that Abbott Labs was going to report a good quarter, but the reaction would be negative which it was, which it almost always is, and then after that, you can buy. So the answer is go buy Abbott Labs. It was an excellent quarter. Robert Ford did a good job. Now, T in U.S. asks, uh, when raising money in the face of potential downturn, what percentage of your portfolio is a good guy for having cash available? All right, I like to measure what I think is going to be the severity of the downturn and match that with the oscillator, which we have a special deal on if people are members of the club. If the oscillator is above five, I like to almost double the amount of cash that I would be selling normally. Uh, and if it's above 10, then I have no problems taking it to 20% cash. So you about 5%, then to 10%, and then 20%. But the oscillator is what I use as a gauge of how much I need to raise, because that explains to me ahead of time what the viciousness of the downturn is going to be, if indeed we do have a downturn. Next up, we got Mike in Ohio, who asks, I bought Boeing at 325 right before the two accidents a while back, and I've been waiting for a turnaround. Do you see it returning to respectability anytime soon, or is it doomed to continue failures because of 737 max? Okay, this is really important, Mike. This is your real takeaway. You can get this down. I don't care where a stock came from. I don't care where you bought it. I care where it's going to. You might as well white out your basis. I would never, ever care if you bought it at 400 or 100. It doesn't mean anything to me. Here's what does matter. I think Boeing is one of two companies. Everyone's angry at Boeing. Everyone's furious at Boeing. People are carping at Boeing. But it doesn't matter because Airbus doesn't have enough planes. So the answer is be patient with Boeing and buy the stock, uh, particularly when there is a huge complaint because the complainers are never going to do anything about it. Truth. Tony in U.S.S., 
For a new investor, is it better to buy an equal weight S&P index fund or a regular weighted S&P index fund? Always regulated because that's the natural one. And by the way, this whole rap, as I say tonight, about how I have to have every stock be equal. Well, you, no, no. Some, this is just about Animal Farm, okay? This is just about George Orwell. Some of these mega caps are more equal than others. Now let's go to Ashish, who asked, the club has investments in all the Magnificent Seven except Tesla. Why not Tesla? Because Tesla reported a downside surprise and is not as good a stock. As a matter of fact, I like to call it the Super Six. Or I may bring back the Seven Samurai, of course, which was the original well before Magnificent Seven. And one of the Samurai would be Eli Lilly. Speak of the devil, Bonnie in California is it too late to start a position, Eli Lilly? I feel like I missed it. What would be a good entry point for the stock? Thank you and everyone at the Investing Club for all you do, especially Jeff Marks. I added the last, but that's how I feel. Okay, here's the thing about Lilly. I I don't know when it's going to come in. There's always going to be some negative story written because there's a lot of carping competitors. But you can't even get the darn drug in New York City. Of course, I'm speaking about the GOP-1. There's so little supply. Can you imagine if they could supply everybody? So here's what you do. You buy some tomorrow. And then you wait literally for a 5% downturn. If you don't get a 5% downturn, you have bought all you're going to buy. Now, that's discipline. Now, Andrew weighs in, and he wants to know, uh, thank you for all your staff and for all you do. I have a great staff. They make me look good every day, although they can't do much with this. Um, I'm wondering if you could compare Starbucks versus Dutch Bros as an investment going forward. Would you be concerned with the rate of growth of Dutch Bros or the China impact on Starbucks? Thank you. These are great questions. Okay. First of all, Dutch Bros grew way too fast. I told them that a million times, but they just say, oh, he's an idiot TV guy. What the hell does he know? Do they care that like I was like I ran like many companies and I made a lot of money? I know it meant nothing to them because that's the way it is. You see, when you're a TV person, you're automatically considered to be an idiot. What they ought to be thinking is like, wow, he's not that good looking. Maybe he's smart. Ba-boom. Now, here's what's true. Starbucks has got a problem in China and also a problem in America, whereas viewed as being uh, I, I'm not even going to. I want you to go listen to what I said at the conference call today because I described how it's being uh, proto- how it's being portrayed by a group of people who are upset with is with Israel. OK, I don't want to dignify it or say it because it just seems wrong to me because I am an American. All right. But I will tell you this. Uh, Starbucks is probably going to miss probably going to miss big. It's going to miss big because of both weakness in America and weakness in China. So the question is, is that why it went from here to here? I don't know. When you see a downside surprise, the stock knee-jerk goes down five more dollars, and that's when you'll buy more. Because China is reawakening from its multi-year slumber and is about to come back. Why is that? Because they lowered the actual uh, interest rate that banks uh, can borrow at. That was the best thing they could possibly do. Now they're getting serious. They must be worried about their own position. I always find that maybe, maybe they're worried about executions. Those tend to concentrate the mind. All right, so here's one. Uh, Colin, in the U.S., in U.S., well, yeah, great, uh, who wants to know, with the B- Bitcoin ETF approved and given the fees and converting dollars to crypto and back, is it better to invest in an ETF or does Jim still recommend buying a crypto like ETH or BTC? I definitely recommend buying it directly. I don't need the, the, but the you, you just buy it correctly. But you have to have it custody at some place uh, that, that you're, you're not worried about. It's not going to go under. But right now, I think Bitcoin is in a very bad moment. OK, for the last eight thousand dollar, whatever it is, I've been saying this thing is going lower. And I'm, I'm uh, reiterating right here, and this is the, from the work of Larry Williams, that you should sell your Bitcoin. And if it goes above 40000 I want you to consider that to be a gift because Larry Williams has got a beat on this thing. He said it was going to go up, and now he, thinks it's gonna, he says it's going to go much lower. All right? So there we go. 
And that's the kind of stuff you get. But notice, by the way, I gave, you know, I have a different attitude in the morning meeting, different thing at the, at the, with the club, different thing with the squawk on the street, different thing with man money. I have many different personae. And the personae of the club is one of being direct, no nonsense, telling you the way it is, because you and I are members of the same club. Our viewers are so smart. Jeff and I want to thank everyone who's sending their questions. And if you want to be part of this process, which you can see you get a whole different Kramer, not bad, make sure you join the club ahead of next month's meeting. You will not be disappointed because I got to tell you, there's nothing like it. And I absolutely, Mad Money's back here for the break. Coming up, pop open those umbrellas and tee up your toughest questions. Kramer takes on all comers in the lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time the lightning round. I'm going to start with Harry in my home state of New Jersey. Harry! Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Thank Booyah, you. big guy. What's up? I'm calling about U.S. Silica Holdings. It's F-L-C-A. No, I know it. Think? I know it, fellow Jersey, fellow Garden Stater, but you're not going to buy that stock. That stock is really, I mean, no, that's just not going to be. It's not. It's, it's like DraftKings. You can't own it in this state, okay? You can't play it in this state. Let's go to Dan in California, please. Dan. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Thank oh, yeah. you for taking my call. Of course. Thank you for helping the little guy. That's what it's my about. Stock. I am really little. Go ahead. No, I'm little. My stock is called Tetratech, and the symbol is TT. I know it. I know it. Okay, it's a government employee kind of story. It always seems to have enough orders. It's not. Uh, it's super expensive versus the others in that industry. I will bless it. I need to go to uh, Lou in New Jersey. Another Jersey, Lou. Hey, how are you, Jim? Nice to talk to you. Same. Um, <laughs> quick shout out to my wife. We're going out to Philly tonight to eat for her birthday. But uh, oh, happy my, birthday! Uh, my uh, stock is a new take on uh, cataract surgery. It's a premium product, and I think a lot of boomers might be paying out of pocket for it. Uh, What's it called? SC RX site. Oh, okay. Look, this one's losing a lot of money. We're going to do a drill down on this, though, because I happen to build to love. Uh, the kind of, you know, uh, like, let's say a little bit out there medical situations that are speculative. But I want to do more work on it because they're losing too much money for me to just say it's fine. i got to see if they have enough money. Let's go to Ron in Georgia. Ron. Hey, Jim. Really cool to be on the show. Thank you. Ah, yeah, it's fun, right? When you call in, you get on stuff, tell your friends. Cool. Yeah. yeah. This, and we're calling from St. Simon's Island, Georgia. And you, what do me and my boys do with practice precision medicine? Man, that is one of the most, that's, uh, I'm sorry, that's neurological, it's too risky. May I actually send you to Bristol Myers that is now trying to do something neurological that almost no one else has done? Let's go there. Let's go to Barry in New Jersey. Barry! Hey, Jim, it's your buddy in Jersey. How you doing? I'm doing okay. How you doing? Great, great. You know, I love calling in and talking to you. It it makes me feel electric. (laughs) Well, I got to ask, the reason I'm calling tonight, Jim, is I've been building a position um, in a company I really want to buy more, but I'm a little afraid to. 
uh, the companies in the visual content marketplace, and everywhere I look, I see it. Getty, Getty, Getty in every picture. No, I said a SPAC. Image- see, the problem is it's a SPAC. If it hadn't been a SPAC, if it's done real, I think people are excited. But I, I like, I think your call is good. At five bucks, I would actually own that stock. It, it is all over the place. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, Chinese stocks come with a caveat, but Kramer sees a few bargains too cheap to ignore. We reveal them next. Maybe the PRC listens to the show. Last night, the Chinese Communist Party finally did the right thing. They cut their equivalent of the federal funds rate by 50 basis points. That is a gigantic move with real impact. Unlike the move they made yesterday with the Banana Republic-style promise to manipulate their stock market higher, a 50 basis point rate cut will actually make China's economy stronger. And a stronger economy usually delivers higher stock prices. It could be worth more than $100 billion in stimulus. By contrast, just having the government pour money into stocks is putting the cart before the horse. More important, this rate cut shows one of two things. Either the Chinese government is absolutely panicked, and they want to avoid a recession, or they're worried that the populace is getting restless and possibly fed up with the regime's failed promises. Either one is darn bullish. Next up, I've said that China needs to fix its real estate problem. They need to seize banks, recapitalize them, recapitalize their underwater housing developers. You can't have these multi-billion dollar zombie developers bring down the whole country. Come on, China! The People's Republic has to change its ridiculous real estate-dependent economy. We did it here and it worked. I think they'll do it and it'll be a gigantic move, and I really wish they would do it because then I could get I could get really behind this regime on that. Not on the other stuff, but on this, yes. In the end, China has to do something because so far its economy simply hasn't recovered from COVID. Chinese businesses are almost all weak, and many American companies operate over there and are being crushed by their divisions. To make matters much worse, it's an election here in America, and it looks like both candidates are going to try to outdo each other in China bashing. If Trump wins, I think he'll demand reshoring of U.S. businesses, possibly blacklisting many companies that he feels are hurting the country. In all the years that I've known Trump, he's never had a good word to say about the Chinese government. I sense a double down coming. But if Biden has one, it won't be better for China either. His administration adopted an incredibly tough and brilliant strategy. They're preventing China from getting its hands on the best semiconductor technology so that their military won't get strong. They simply aren't allowed to buy the latest and greatest chips from NVIDIA. That's the equivalent of Toto turning off the oxygen, specifically the oxygen that you need for generative AI. You think China would recognize this and try to find some way to demonstrate that it doesn't want to lose the U.S. as a business partner? Maybe some conciliatory comments about Taiwan? Maybe some big orders or, uh, of something we make? Maybe some good deals if market companies want to do new business in China? But this current regime wants nothing to do with us other than to sell or dump cheap manufactured goods in our market. There's no sign whatsoever that they want to take a more conciliatory position. That means the regime will turn inward. They'll turn to help their own publicly traded companies. As painful as it is for them, the Communist Party will embrace rich entrepreneurs again, like Jack Ma, and unleash them to create more wealth. Meanwhile, I see hedge funds that invest in China giving up every single day. That doesn't happen at the top. So here's my thinking. We just held our investing club monthly meeting, and I announced that even as we run a charitable trust, it doesn't trade. It's time to buy four incredibly cheap stocks for a short period of time. And they are Alibaba, Baidu, Pinduoduo, and JD.com. 
These high-profile Chinese stocks are the cheapest I've ever seen them. They are real businesses. They tend to be levered just to the Chinese consumer, but they're getting, uh, I'd say, a lot of international attention. And the Chinese consumer will be the chief beneficiary of the government's stimulus package. Although I discourage trading, I believe that these four stocks are ready to roll. We will not own them for the trust, but we put them out as good trading ideas. The Chinese government is panicked. They know they have to get their economy moving or else. And that or else happens to be a fabulous motivator for any dictator who claims he's a dictator for life. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Monday. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last fall starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. give it to you. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that... That's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Let's go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com.